0: This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ. Let powers. me invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Ephesians. We're walking through Paul's letter to the Ephesians, and we've come to chapter four and verse seven. So last week, uh, in verses one through six, we talked about unity in the body of, of Christ. and this week we're talking about diversity and maturity in the body of Christ. These are beautiful pictures of the the church that we see here in chapter 4. So let's look uh, beginning with verse 7 here in chapter 4 as we pick it up there. And let me encourage you to follow along in your copy of God's Word. Now grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. For it says... When he ascended on high, he took the captives captive. He gave gifts to people. But what does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower parts of the earth? The one who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens to fill all things. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets some evangelists, some pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry to build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son, growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. Then we will no longer be little children tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching, by human cunning with cleverness in the techniques of deceit. But speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ. From him, the whole body, fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament, builds, prom- promotes the growth of the body for building itself up in love by the proper working of each individual part. Let's pray. Father, as we think about the, the beautiful diversity of the body of Christ. We, we pray that you would give us a deeper understanding of what grace gifts are all about and the way that they're used in the body of Christ as, as we all work together as one body. And we pray that we would exercise that with maturity and so we, we pray now that as we d- dig into this r- wonderful text that your spirit would open the eyes of our hearts, that you would, would deal uh, deeply within each one of, of us um, to, to form us and shape us, uh, to be your people, and to be a, a, as we're a part of your church family and, and working together to build up your body. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Well, as a Yankees fan, it's been a great month of August uh, for us. Our, our team has been, been playing great, and we had like a 13-game uh, winning streak. But, but that, the, the excellent play in August followed a lot of, of mediocrity in the couple of months before that. But the Yankees made a trade at the end of July that absolutely turned their season around when they brought two new players to the team. And these guys were both uh, left-handed batters. And you see, before that, uh, we, had had, we had great players, but there was a sameness to our lineup. They were all kind of the same type of player, kind of, you know, all right-handed sluggers, and we desperately needed balance and variety and diversity in our lineup. And when we got it, we not only got two new guys, but those two new guys kind of like helped the entire team because of the the diversity that they brought to our to our to our lineup. Well, today we're talking about a far, far more important team and that's God's team, the church. And what we see in this text is that within the body of Christ, God has put a beautiful diversity in terms of the ways that we've been gifted and that we are to exercise those spiritual gifts with maturity. So let's talk about both of those things from this text today. So what do we see here? First of all, we see diversity in the body. In verses 7 through 12. so last week we talked about unity in the body if you, you weren't able to hear that i encourage you to to, to go online and and check that out because it's kind of built on on that but but unity does not mean uniformity it does not mean uh, sameness it does not mean kind of cookie cutter christians that are all kind of you know stamped with the same mold no God has given different gifts to the members of the body so that together and using our gifts, we we build, we work together in, in building the whole. That's what we see here in verses 7 through 12. So let's begin here with verse 7. He says, Now grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Now, usually when we think about grace, we're thinking about God's saving grace. John Newton put it so well in the great hymn, Amazing Grace. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. God's saving grace. But God's grace is also demonstrated in that he gives to every child of God one or more grace gifts with which to serve him, with which to build up the body of Christ. The word grace in the Greek New Testament is charis, and the word for spiritual gifts is charismata. They are grace gifts. I remember when Dr. Wayne Poplin was pastoring this church when I was a teenager, and I'll never forget, he was teaching on the subject one Sunday, and the beginning of his sermon was a question. And the question Dr. Poplin posed was, are you charismatic? And he knew that, you know, when most people hear, hear the word charismatic, uh, they're thinking about kind of a particular wing of the Christian Church, and they're thinking about, especially the, uh, the gift of, of, of tongues. But as Dr. Poplin went on to ex- explain that, that morning, when you read the, the New Testament, and it talks about spiritual gifts, which is in Greek as charismatots, where we get the word it's not just talking about one gift. It's, it's talking about all of the spiritual gifts. They are all gifts of grace. They are all charismata. And if you are a child of God, if you're a part of the body of Christ, if you're born again, you have been given one or more spiritual gifts. What do we see here in verse 7? Let's look at it again. Who receives these gifts? What does he say? Now grace was given to who? To each one So, if you are born again, if you are a a child of God, you are a gifted child. God has given you one or more spiritual gifts that you are to use in building up the body of of Christ. Check out what he says here in in, in verse 8. Fascinating. For it says, When he ascended on high, he took the captives captive. He gave gifts to people. Now, Paul here is quoting from the Old Testament. He's quoting from Psalm 68, which is a victory song. It's a psalm of of victory. And it's drawing on a practice from, from ancient warfare. So, in ancient times, when an army went out in battle and they were victorious in battle, they would bring the spoils of war back to their home city. And so that victorious army would come marching back into their, into their home city with the spoils of war in hand, and their commander would distribute those, those as gifts to the people. Well, Christ has won the ultimate victory. He has won the victory over sin and death and hell. And he is now risen and ascended and exalted, as we sung earlier. And after his ascension, his exaltation, the Holy Spirit was poured out on his church And part of the pouring out of the Holy Spirit is that now spiritual gifts are being given to his children with which to serve him and build up the body of Christ. Notice what he says here in in verses 9 and 10. But what does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower parts of the earth? The one who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens to fill all things. So what happened in Christ's incarnation? He descended, right? He left the glory of heaven itself and and came to us, descended to us, became a human being to rescue us to deliver us and then what happened after Jesus lived the perfect life that we could never live and died the death we should have died and was crucified and buried what happened he rose from the dead and then he ascended he ascended to the highest place where he is now exalted at the right hand of the father and his Spirit has been poured out. It was poured out at Pentecost. And, and now he is filling all things. And, and, and part, of, part of that is the giving of spiritual gifts to his people with which to serve him. And so as the spirit is poured out and people are, use their spiritual gifts, which he's going to talk about in just a moment in verses 11 and 12, that is a foretaste of the, t- of, of, of the time when Christ will return and fill all things and the knowledge of the glory of God will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. We get a foretaste of that as the body of Christ, as the church functions, and as believers use their spiritual gifts to build up the body. And that's where he's going now in verses 11 and 12. Let's look at them together. And he gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry to build up the body of Christ. Now, sometimes I think when we, when we look at the spiritual gift lists in the New Testament, the primary ones in Paul's writings would be here in Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12. Sometimes we can miss the forest for the trees. <laughs> Sometimes we can kind of try to you know uh, tally up the gifts or number the, the, the gifts. I, I think if you were to ask the apostle Paul to how many spiritual gifts there are i 'm not sure that he would give you a number because the gift lists that he gives are in three different places in his right they 're they're, they're all different, and the the, many of the spiritual gifts that he that he tells us about are they're kind of like headings, right? So if you think about something like the gift of mercy, for instance, so that gift can be deployed in almost a limitless number of ways. It's the same thing with serving or leading or administrating or or whatever right you've got you've got sort of like the 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 head of a column but then that that gift can be deployed just in 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 a a huge variety of ways i also think that sometimes when we try to think about our own spiritual gift uh, you know, we can try to discern that gift and, uh, you know, there are all kinds of spiritual gift inventories that, you know, you can take and all, and all that. And, and so, uh, you know, th- that could be of, of, of some value in, in, in certain cases. But, but listen, I, I think the, the best way to discern how you are gifted to serve is to begin serving, is to roll up your sleeves and get involved in the church family and, and just begin to look for needs and begin to try to meet needs, right? And just, just get involved and try different ways to serve. And as you do that prayerfully, then your, your gift and the way that God has, has, has wired you and gifted you to bless other people and build up the body of Christ will become clear over time. Now, the list that he gives here uh, in verses 11 and 12, it's a little different because these are sort of a mixture of gifts and offices within the church. So, he mentions here um, in verse 11, uh, apostles. So, when we think about the apostles, we're thinking about uh, men who were associated really with the first generation of the church who were eyewitnesses of the the resurrection and, and appointed to be apostles by Christ personally. We don't really think of the office of apostle as operative in the church today. And then he mentions prophets. So can Christians exercise the gift of prophecy today? That depends on how you define prophecy. If you're defining prophecy as being like the old testament prophets you know like isaiah or jeremiah or ezekiel or whoever uh then i think the answer is no because those old testament prophets were given direct revelation from god that was to be recorded in the scripture so the 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 canon of scripture is is closed. We are not to add to the Bible or take away from the Bible. So when we think about prophecy certainly it it doesn't function in the way that it, it you know Old Testament prophets were functioning. But if the question is can can a believer be given um, a strong impression from from God that you know that's a word a word of encouragement you know a word of of edification or exhortation that can help to build up other believers then I think the answer is 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 yes certainly, but we need to really understand that 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 comes when we think about prophecy today that comes with a couple of qualifications Uh, one it is not on a par with scripture and two it must be in line with the scripture because i can tell you from many years of pastoring i've had plenty of people tell me That God told them something, and I know good and well God did not tell (laughs) What they're they're telling me, and the reason I know that Is because what they were saying that God told them Was not in line with the Bible And God's will was never going to contradict God's word, right? So um, everything has to be tested by Scripture And then he talks about evangelists So every believer is called to evangelize. Every every follower of Christ is called to be a a fisher of men, a fisher of, of people, right? We are all to be evangelistic, to seek to evangelize. That means that we are to be looking to share our faith with every person that we can in every way that we can. That's every believer. But there are certain believers who are given a special gift of evangelism we think about somebody in modern times like billy graham as an, as an obvious example but when you think about that the gift of evangelism the office of evangelist don't just think about sort of like crusade evangelists like 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 billy graham um or, ordinary believers uh, can be can be given uh, a special g- gift of evangelism. And, and when you, and you think about that, don't just think about people that are like super extroverted in their personality. Bill Bright, who was the founder of Campus Crusade for Christ, and certainly one of the greatest soul winners who ever lived, very introverted in his personality. So it doesn't always, it, it can't be pigeonholed according to to personality. But he talks about evangelists, and then pastors and teachers. And he seems to kind of, there's linkage between those two, and there's a reason for that. Every pastor really should have the gift of teaching, because 1 Timothy 3.2 says that elders or pastors, the two words are used interchangeably, must be what? Able to teach. So every pastor is, must be a teacher, but not every teacher is called to be a pastor. There are lots of men and women who are gifted to teach. And if you are gifted to teach, then you should be teaching because it's an incredibly strategic thing. And it's a way that you can, you can impact other people and build up the body of, of Christ. Now he he says that all of this is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Let's look at it let's look at it again. Look at the look at the flow here, right? To equip the saints for the work of ministry to to build up the body of of Christ. Now the the grammar here is is very very clear. The the people who are doing the work of the ministry in the church are, are not just the people who, are, who hold those positions mentioned in verse 11. No, the people who are doing the work of ministry are the saints. In verse 12, that's all the members of the church. So in our church, you know, Thurman Hayes and Wilson Caldwell and David Edgel may be the pastors, but the ministers of First Baptist Suffolk should be all the members of the church, right? Uh, The pastors are, are to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, right? That's all the saints joining together. And that ministry is incredibly diverse. There are folks who are using their spiritual gifts in kind of more speaking roles, you know, like pastors or or teachers. But then there are are tons and tons of different roles in the church where gifts are used in a a more behind-the-scenes kind of way that are absolutely vital to the health of the body. And Paul beautifully pictures this in 1 Corinthians 12. Turn turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 12 and let's look at verses 14 and following. 1 Corinthians 12 and let's, let's pick that up beginning at verse 14. He says, Indeed the body is not one part but many. If the foot should say, Because I'm not a hand. I don't belong to the body. It is not for that reason, any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body. It is not for that reason, any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God has arranged each one of the parts in the body just as he wanted. And if they were all the same part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. That's the beautiful diversity of the body of Christ. Now, in verses 13 through 16, he talks about maturity in the body. Maturity in the body. Let's Pick it up in verses 13 and 14. He says, Until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son, growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness, then we will no longer be little children tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching, by human cunning with cleverness and the techniques of deceit. Now, notice the, the metaphors here in these verses it's a contrast between immaturity and maturity between childhood and adulthood and what he's saying here is that the the church needs to grow up function as a grown-up mature body and remember at the end of verse 12 he that final phrase in verse 12 is about building up the body of christ so now he's, he's telling us how that happens. And he's given us three phrases that kind of unpack what building up the body of Christ looks like, what maturity in the body of Christ looks like. First of all, it looks like unity in the faith. So now he's going back to what he talked about in verses one through six, the, the unity of the body. And it's, it's a unity in, 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 in the faith. The faith, as Jude 3 says, the faith that is once for all delivered to the saints. It is not a unity at any price. It must be a unity in the faith. There are core, essential, orthodox doctrines of Christianity that we must come together on or we don't have unity. Things like the virgin birth of Christ, things like the, the, the sinlessness and divinity Of Christ, things like the substitutionary atonement of Christ for our sins upon the cross, things like the literal bodily resurrection of Christ from the dead, and his ascension and exaltation, and the fact that he is is literally coming again bodily in victory. Things like the Trinity and the authority of Scripture. If we can't come together on those essentials, there is no real unity. There there must be a unity in the faith. And then the second phrase is the knowledge of God's Son. The church is to go deeper and deeper into the glories of Christ into the the, the beauty of the gospel, into what Paul called in chapter three and verse eight, the incalculable riches of Christ, the unsearchable riches of Christ. And notice here that this is is not just a knowledge about God's son, it is knowledge of God's son. This is not just a, a head knowledge where we know stuff about Jesus. It's a knowledge of him which comes from not only learning the Bible and learning sound doctrine but taking it into our heart and living it out in our lives. And then the third phrase is growing to maturity, literally gr- growing to mature manhood. Again, the contrast here is between between childhood and adulthood. He says, he says that in verse 14, Then we will no longer be little children tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching, by human cunning, with cleverness, and the techniques of deceit. Little kids are easily led astray by bad adults. And, and spiritually immature believers are easily led astray by bad teaching. They have not yet developed the muscle of discernment. So how do we develop that? It's, it's by good doctrine, right? It's, it's by good doctrine that we can discern bad doctrine and not be led astray. Look at verses 15 and 16. But speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ, from him, The whole body fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament promotes the growth of the body for building itself up in love by the proper working of each individual part. Wow. So as the body grows in maturity, we are more and more intimately connected to our head and the head of the body of Christ is Christ himself. Christ is the head of the body. And as we grow in maturity, we are becoming more and more intricately, intimately connected to our head. All of our nourishment, all of our strength, all of our fruitfulness must come from our head who is Christ. And praise God, he is building his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Dallas Willard was a Christian philosopher and wrote a lot of really helpful books on the Christian life, the spirit of the disciplines, many others. Um, And he died of cancer in May of 2013, but shortly before his death, uh, Dallas Willard was interviewed for a couple of hours. And at the end of that interview... Uh, The interviewer asked, asked this man Who had devoted so much of his life To writings to try to strengthen and build up the church The interviewer asked Dallas Willard When you see the state of the church today Don't you just want to like throw up your hands In exasperation And Dallas Willard just smiled And said never And the interviewer said Well how could you not and Dallas Willard just said, because Christ is the head of the church and he knows what he's doing. We need to hear that after weeks like this, right? Christ is the head of his church, he knows what he's doing. Christ is building his church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Not in Afghanistan, not in Iran, not in China, not here. Christ is the head of the church. He is building his church. The gospel is unstoppable. Nothing can stop it. We need to know that. And we also need to know this. We talked about the ascension of Christ earlier, which is a doctrine that we need to to probe far more than, than we often do. But we need to think about the implication of the fact that Christ is risen and ascended. Exalted over all. What does that mean for us? What we see in this text, that what it means is that after his ascension and exaltation, the Holy Spirit was poured out and now by the power of the spirit we're we're being given these these spiritual gifts to use right to build up the body of christ but the fact that jesus is ruling and reigning exalted over all should be an incredible word of encouragement and confidence and peace for you and me i love what nt Wright says about this to embrace the ascension is to heave a sigh of relief, to give up the struggle to be God, and to enjoy our status as creatures, image-bearing creatures, but creatures nonetheless. Christ is on the throne. He is ruling and reigning. We don't have to play God. Jesus reigns and you can function as a creature bearing his image who is loved by him and through whom he can work by his spirit to build up the body of Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for the fact that Jesus is reigning that he's on the throne and Lord in a world like we're we're living in in these days. It is so vital just to understand that Christ really is on the throne and that Christ is the head of his church and he knows what he's doing and he is building his church around the world and nothing can stop that. Lord, help us to understand that even in our own lives, with all of our trials, all of our challenges... That our King, Jesus, our ascended King, is very much on the throne and that He loves His children. As we continue to pray, listen, I would ask you, is Christ ruling and reigning as King in your life today? Do you know Him as Savior and Lord? If not, turn to Him now. Turn to him in repentance and faith. Give your life to him. Give the controls of your life to Jesus. Put your trust and rest in his finished work for you. His death for your sins, his resurrection from the dead, and that he is exalted as king now, and that he is returning as king. Is he your king? Is he your savior? Why don't you welcome him into your life right now and receive him as your savior and Lord? Father, work in hearts and lives right now in this place and in people who may be watching a video today or at any time in the future. It's not by accident that they are here or that they are watching. Lord, work in beautiful ways and hearts right now and bringing people to yourself and work in our lives as believers that we would be all out for you and being a part of building up the body of Christ that Jesus loved and gave himself for. That's in his name that we pray. Amen. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin. But I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray. You know, the Bible says this in John 1, 12, to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine it. Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth is now your loving father and you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with them. We get to know God through His Word, through prayer, and through His people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to Him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where His love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia.